Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. Nostalgia time in season seven. I mean, it's all nostalgia since we're dealing with summer's past, but this is truly a flashback to my childhood, a remake of a cartoon series in Toyline that was prevalent in my house growing up. Today, we're talking about Transformers. Well, that's typically a good thing, I guess. This particular adaptation has its issues, like all the issues. It's one big issue. And yet, like most summer blockbusters, despite the mediocre plot, lazy storytelling, and annoying stereotypes, there's an element of fun that leaves you entertained. The very cool thing about the Transformers is that new generations are finding them and falling in love, and they hilariously keep crossing my path. I am related to one. My oldest nephew, Roy, has been gifted all of my brother's Transformers. He loves to watch the movie. I remember even connecting two of these people that have crossed my path. There was this young man that would come in on Mondays. He was a middle schooler. He'd come into the teen room to hang out because he had nothing after school that day and he needed to wait to get picked up by his parents and so uh, he would come into the library and I don't even know how we got on the topic I think we actually started talking about Mortal Kombat first which I know absolutely nothing about but then he mentions Transformers and that started a two-year conversation about Transformers now I I enjoyed the Transformers growing up but I don't know the origin stories of each of them or all of the weapons they hold, or but I'm really good, really, really good at going, uh-huh, ooh, that's cool, yeah, yeah, oh, what about this, you know, and, and kind of grabbing context clues and asking questions about them. So every Monday, this gentleman would come up to the teen room desk. As soon as I would sit in the chair, he would literally pick up the conversation at the exact point we had left it off the week before. And hilariously... He then goes off to high school. He doesn't come in quite as much anymore. Occasionally, I'd see him. But uh, a couple years ago, I was working an outreach event for the library. I was staffing. I was staffing the outreach table. We were at an event that encourages kids to get into STEM careers. And he was on the robotics team for the local high school. And he comes around and he sees me. And I see him make a beeline toward me. And no kidding, that kid picked up again the conversation immediately where we had left it. It was kind of miraculous. But I had taken at one point some of the Transformers I still had access to. I don't know why I did. They might have been stored at my mom or dad's or something. And And I had taken them to the library because the nephew wasn't around yet to show him like, oh, these are some retro toys from the 80s and 90s. And he he is a collector, this kid. And he was just kind of amazed. He's like, I can't believe I'm holding this in my hands and everything. So I had this at the library for years and years and years. And then one day, Roy, after he had been opened this box of of transformers that my brother had played with when he was a kid for his birthday I ran over there because I knew one was missing and I grabbed it it was I don't I couldn't even tell you the transformers name it was a big guy who could actually hold other transformers in him that sounds that sounds weird I'm sorry um so it kind of all came full circle to me where where this young man graduated high school I then had Roy who who likes to talk about him and one thing I do love there's another person I have not actually talked Transformers directly to her but through her proxy her mother who works with me this wonderful little girl named Sophie who just loves pop culture too as much as I love pop culture she's really into Pokemon she's a big Doctor Who fan and then she's also 
just obsessed with the Transformers. And I think that her parents are really, you know, they're raising her right with all of this pop culture stuff. So I, I love to see new generations coming up through the ranks that kind of love some of the things we love. Now, we I could have all the clothing styles that are coming back stay away. Uh, there are some things that I just don't think we ever need to see again. But toys and movies, oh, I love it. I love it so much. But back to the actual movie we're talking about today. So we're back to Michael Bay. I do apologize for that. Well, I only slightly apologize for that. He's still in this one predictably, you know, using the same formula. Lots of explosions, lots of destruction of property, lots of scantily clad stereotypical female characters that are given nothing to do. <laughs> lots of cameos from familiar looking actors and a stupid yet entertaining at times plot. Steven Spielberg was an executive producer on the movie, which I found kind of interesting. Seems like even he couldn't rein in any of that stuff, unfortunately. Um, but so it goes. It was still a big hit at the box office. The writing credits go to Roberto Orsi. I, I think that's right. I do apologize. Alex Kurtzman and John Rogers. Orsi and Kurtzman have some familiar credits to their names. Some episodes of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess. Alias, The Legend of Zorro, Mission Impossible 2, and excitingly 2009's J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot, which will definitely be making a, an appearance on the podcast eventually, because I can't wait to talk about the one. Rogers, the, the third name on the list, has a smaller IMDb filmography, but he worked on the TV show's Eureka, which is a great show. Great show. I spent a summer watching that show. Leverage, also great Definitely good for a rewatch. And The Librarians, which is kind of cool. Some some good titles on there. The Transformers came out on July 3rd, 2007. I wouldn't say it had a big cast. It was, it was like a big cast of almost famous people. Shia LaBeouf, who was having a moment at the time. And I actually really liked him at the time. Very sad he became so problematic. Megan Fox, Josh Dumel, Tyrese Gibson, Anthony Anderson, John Voight, and John Turturro, who I do still really love because of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is a fantastic movie. Uh, John or George Clooney saying, I'm a Dapper Dan man, just, uh, and, or he's a suitor. Uh, sorry, random quotes I'm throwing out from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But love that. Maybe we'll have to talk about that sometime eventually, too. Also just found out that Hugo Weaving voiced Megatron. You go, Elrond. Ah, oh, I did not know that. Let's talk about uh, Peter Cullen just for a minute, too. Peter voiced Optimus Prime, a role he originated in the 1984 cartoon TV series and the 1986 The Transformers, the movie, which is still a horrible name. It was a horrible name three minutes ago, and it's still a horrible name. Too many thes. Why all the thes? But Sweet Peter, that's what I've decided to call him, also voiced Murky Dismal in Rainbow Bright, Monterey Jack in the Chippendale TV series, Gritty Gummy in Adventures of the Gummy Bears, and is the voice of Eeyore, at least since the late 80s. I, I love his IMDb. That is, that's just amazing voice work for any kid that grew up in the 90s and, and loves that kind of nostalgia bit. Did the Transformers win the summer? No, it did not. It held its own. But there were some fairly big heavy hitters that came out that same year. Spider-Man 3, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Ratatouille, Knocked Up, 
Live Free or Die Hard, Ocean's 13, Hairspray, Superbad, Surf's Up, which is a grossly underrated animated feature, incidentally also starring at least the voice of Shia LaBeouf, and the movie Stardust. So some good movies came out that summer. Transformers had an estimated budget of about $150 million. It made over $319 million at the box office domestically, with an opening weekend of $70 million, which isn't shabby at all. It would go on to make over $700 million worldwide. It was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. Spider-Man 3 won domestically at the box office in 2007, and Pirates was the highest grossing film worldwide. Now for the movie summary. <laughs> I'm sorry. Exposition montage right off the bat. Bay apparently loves that. Armageddon now Transformers. As for the Transformers, they are an old race of aliens from the planet Cybertron, which was consumed by civil war between two factions, the Autobots led by Optimus Prime and the Decepticons led by Megatron. There's this source of power called the AllSpark, the origin of all... Cybertronian life and it's missing was hidden I don't I don't fully understand that part which is fine but Optimus wants to find this AllSpark to rebuild Cybertron and in the war while Megatron wants to find it to conquer the universe and guess what the AllSpark is on Earth because that makes total sense uh, many moons ago Megatron realized this found the AllSpark and he came to Earth but he crash landed in the Arctic Circle and was frozen in ice which had to have happened very quickly again they don't go into that I have some questions in, in 1887, this dude named Captain Archibald Witwicky, which is a great name, accidentally activates Megatron's navigational system when they stumble upon his body in the Arctic, causing um, the eyeglasses that Witwicky was wearing to be imprinted with the coordinates of the AllSparks location, which years later is found by a government organization known as Sector 7. They find the AllSpark, and then they build the Hoover Dam around it for protection and to mask its energy emissions. And because we're bright individuals, we move Megatron's frozen body into the facility as well. So if you didn't know the history of the Hoover Dam, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Fast forward to present day, and the Decepticons, Megatron's minions, are now on Earth looking for the AllSpark and their long-lost leader. They are not quiet about their arrival. Uh, they start hacking into government databases for information about the whereabouts of Sector 7, and they actually attack a military convoy. Meanwhile, Sam Witwicky, the descendant of Archibald, uh, Captain Archibald Witwicky, he is in possession of the eyeglasses. They have been passed down through the family for years, and now he's in possession for them. He's actually trying to sell them on eBay to pay for his first car, which, um, because he does that, it attracts the attention of an Autobot named Bumblebee, who disguises itself as a 1976 Chevrolet Cam Camaro which becomes Sam's first car. So Sam goes to buy the car. Here comes Bumblebee dressed up as a car. <laughs> dressed up as a car. Um, and so he's like, ooh, this is a cool car. And so he ends up driving off the lot in Bumblebee. Bumblebee sends out then an alert to the other Autobots, and they arrive on Earth as well. So all of the remaining Cybertronians are on Earth, and they discover the location of the AllSpark. And the remainder of the movie is Sam, his two hot, almost girlfriend, Michaela, played by Megan Fox, um, they're trying to keep the AllSpark out of Megatron's hands, which leads to the destruction of an entire city. 
There we go. Michael Bay gets to just blow up an entire city. Sans ends up um, shoving the Allspark into Megatron's chest, which basically causes like a power surge in the Decepticon, saving the day. The end. This is not a great movie. But the thrill of seeing Optimus Prime arrive on screen and then transform from his semi-cab alter ego into the Cybertronian fighter is quite the thrill. The throwback sound of the transformation, Prime's familiar voice, the sheer size of the creatures and their fighting capabilities still hold up really, really well. What doesn't hold up... Shia LaBeouf, which is a shame because I kind of liked the dorky, fast-talking actor at the time, and Megan Fox's character as the car-loving, scantily clad teen who falls in love with the dork but is giving nothing else to do but be eye candy that just rubs me the wrong way. It does not hold up. And she's not bad in it. She could have, you know, actually added a lot to the movie, I kind of thought. If it's nostalgia you love... You're good. If you're wanting your mind blown and to be highly entertained, you were definitely left wanting, which leads to the part of the conversation where we discuss whether or not I would have survived the movie. You guessed it. It's a distinct possibility since I reside in Indiana that I am still alive. Life is tough for the East and West coasters. It would appear in apocalypse movies, but I think the conversation really lies in whether or not I would have been all on board when my car transformed into a being, started talking and then, you know, thrust me into a war? The answer is no. I would be screaming and running. That's the kind of girl I am, like, ah, and go. I I might hide behind something for a few minutes to gauge the safety situation and then approach the, the talking car, but it always amuses me how quickly folks get past unbelievable things in pop culture. Sam and Michaela, they just they take it in stride. I mean, they're alarmed noticeably. Oh my goodness, what is this thing? But then within minutes, they're like, yeah, okay, we'll just go, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. These, these giant creatures are going to follow me to my home so I can give them a pair of eyeglasses. And that's just kind of where it leaves it. Um, and number two, and no, I would not be alive at the end of this movie. If I was given the task of running helter-skelter through a city with bombs and guns erupting all around me and a giant alien creature is on my heels, I would be hyperventilating within seconds and having to stop to get rid of a side stitch. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in shape. I'm not. <laughs> that would not be happening. And I'm not that fast. I would be caught immediately. I might also just get so scared that I chuck the AllSpark at Megatron and run the opposite direction because that was a move I did in fact use from time to time to survive my brothers. So if my life depends on me being able to run away from a giant robot in the middle of a big city, let's just face it, I am dead. But why shouldn't the characters have been able to survive either? Well, number one, giant metal shape-shifting alien creatures that are extremely well-armed, the size of buildings and can manipulate technology are just gonna be an all-around no for the humans. We're crafty, but we're also puny. Very, very puny. We are dead. Number two, at one point, our own military was shooting at the troops on the ground. So if we can't even rely on the friendlies, there's just no hope for survival. And number three, finally, Sam seems like a good dude. A little high strung and absolutely talks too much, but he doesn't seem to be lettering in any sports. He's got like a whole lab thing in his house, which is ridiculous. The house is very cool. 
Very cool. But it's ridiculous, which would also lead you to believe that he doesn't get out too often. Do we really believe that he would make it up that 100 floor skyscraper, which is probably an exaggeration, but it was very tall with Megatron on his heels. This girl doesn't believe that. This girl believes that Sam is dead and that Megatron has the AllSpark and the world is a goner. We are now Cybertronians or have been destroyed by the Cybertronians. I don't really know how it works. A few interesting tidbits about the movie. Peter Cullen, the original voice of Optimus Prime, described reprising the role as slipping into an old pair of very comfortable shoes that you haven't worn for a while. I was grateful to the fans for wanting and bringing him back. At around the 40-minute mark, for the scene where Scorponic bursts out of the sand right on the heels of the soldiers, he's kind of a, he's a, a scorpion-looking transformer, the effect was achieved by detonating a primer cord under the sand. The explosions would be in close proximity and very dangerous to the actors in the scene. So before the scene was shot, Michael Bay told the actors to run and keep running no matter what happens, or else they would be seriously injured or even worse killed. As a result, the look of panic on the actors' faces as they flee the scorpion transformer in the scene is 100% genuine. I just, I don't think I could work under those circumstances. <laughs> to keep the film realistic, <laughs> that's the dumbest way to start this. To keep the film realistic and under budget, the U.S. Department of Defense provided their support towards the film's production, the largest project they have assisted in since Black Hawk Down in 2001. The military provided their vehicles as the alternate modes of the Decepticon Starscream and Bone Crusher. That's kind of cool. They also allowed their F-22 and CV-22 aircraft to be filmed, the first time these planes have been seen in a feature film since Hulk in 2003. Soldiers served as extras and authentic uniforms were provided for the actors. In return for the favor, the filmmakers provided an advanced screening of the film to the soldiers free of charge, which seems like they got the raw end of the deal. At around an hour and 45 minutes into the movie, the Decepticons were to have more dialogue in the film, but most of their lines were cut out to keep them mysterious. Screenwriter Roberto Orsi reasoned that the more a villain talks, the less threatening they are. To please the fans, though, Megatron's classic berating of Starscream, you fail me yet again, Starscream, was put in the film. And the release date was set without a script or a cast, which feels just feels 100% right for this particular movie. But that is all for today. And the last time we'll be talking about Michael Bay. Just realize, though, that the next two movies are from the same director, so I hope you like or at least have a little appreciation for Christopher Nolan. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about but is having a grand old time, well, they can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.